this is crucial if you're trying to increase your sales, is post-purchase, which becomes advocacy if you do a good job. So post-purchase is really how do you stay front of mind for somebody? How do you stay relevant to people you've already worked with or people who've already bought from you? How do you get them to become loyal customers or clients that then either keep buying from you or if you're in an industry where maybe the frequency isn't that high, such as renovation or architecture, then they will become advocates for you and refer work to you. Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello and welcome to episode 264 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. Today, is it a coaching? It is. Is it? It is a coaching episode. And today it's all about marketing. So if you are looking at your marketing plan, if you're thinking about your marketing for 2023, you will not want to miss this. And of course, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I want to go and check that out later, you can check out the show notes, including links to everything that I'm going to talk about over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 264. So before I get stuck into today's session all about marketing, I wanted to let you know that group coaching is officially open. So you can go over and apply. That group coaching program is a 12-month program. We open it twice a year and I just love doing this program. We go through every part of business and it's suitable whether you are just starting out or whether you are two decades in. We've had people two and three decades into their business who have just gotten so much out of the group coaching program. Obviously, it's with myself, but it's also with other nine incredible creative small business owners. We cap it at 10 people in each group just so that you know you really get to know each other, you get to trust each other, and you form those lifelong connections that are so often missing when you're working, particularly if you're working by yourself and you feel like you don't have people to bounce things off. So it's myself, it's the other people, and there are a whole host of guests that we bring in as well. Everyone from lawyers through to SEO experts, financial advisors, psychologists, mindfulness teachers, and a whole bunch more. So if you are keen to apply, get on over to mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash group coaching. That officially kicks off early March next year, but we'll be doing the interviews in January and February. So everything you need to know is on that page. But if you do have more questions, you can email us hello at mydailybusinesscoach.com or you can hit us up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach. The other thing I want to do is, of course, acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on the beautiful land on which I get to record this podcast and live and play and work. And that is the Wawarong and Wurundjeri people of the East Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And as we're talking about marketing today, we also should pledge, all of us, particularly those of us in Australia, 
to work in ways that aid in true equality and equity for First Nations people. And I welcome any other Indigenous, Torres Strait Islander or other peoples from First Nations across the world. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, let's get into today's coaching episode all about marketing. All right, so if you don't know, if you don't know, now you know. But if you don't know, I have been in the marketing space for over two decades now. So I was in marketing well before social media was a thing and I have seen all sorts of channels and platforms and tools and software systems come up. But one of the best, best, best frameworks for figuring out what your marketing should be doing, how to analyze if it's working and come up with ideas and all sorts of things is the buyer cycle. Now, this is something I talk about in a lot of places, whether it's in my book, in this podcast, in working with me, in talks that I do, because I think the buyer cycle is such an incredible, simple tool for understanding marketing. So if you haven't talked to me about it previously, the buyer cycle is really, if you think about a cycle, so a, a kind of circular diagram, and you've got five stages in it. And the first stage is awareness. So that is that people need to know that you exist. And so that awareness could come from a collaboration. It could come from you being in the media. It could come from you being on a podcast. It could be that you do a Instagram live in partnership with somebody else. It could be that you are mentioned on someone's TikTok. It could be all sorts of things, advertising, Google AdWords, all sorts of things can help with awareness. Now, once somebody is aware that you exist, they will, if they're interested, move into the next stage, which is research. So they will look at, you know, looking at social media, looking at hashtags, searching for you through search engines online. They may ask friends, they might look for reviews, they may reach out to you specifically for more information about what you do, what your services are. They might send a DM. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can show that somebody is in the research stage. The next part, if they've gone through the research stage and they like what they see or like what they hear, or like what they read, then they will go into the point of evaluation. Now, this is a really crucial stage for marketing, and it's something that people miss a lot. So evaluation is really the point at which people are literally evaluating if you are the right fit or your brand is the right fit for them. So this could be things like you know, making sure that any credibility or authority is in that place, whether it's a testimonial, whether it is a logo farm, whether it is how many years you have been operating, whatever the business is. It could be media. It could be institutions that you're part of. Say, if you are part of the Australian Psychological Association, that, you know, stamp of approval may well be exactly what is needed for somebody to move from, I don't know, to yes, you're the right fit for me. So that evaluation stage is really important because once somebody moves through that evaluation stage, they are literally saying, I want to work with you or I want to buy from you. Tell me how to do it, which brings you to the fourth stage, which is purchase. So really understanding what does somebody need at that point of purchase, whether it is staff training in a physical shop or location, or whether it is things at the checkout in terms or the product detail page on a website. So do they need video content? Do they need an understanding of how to use whatever it is? I recently, I sometimes, <laughs> I sometimes buy some really weird stuff late at night on Instagram. And I bought recently this kind of thing that fits into your car. What's inside my car is very small. It doesn't feel like it would be that small inside, but it is. So there's very 
little place to put your phone, to put any chargers, to put anything else. So I found this ad and it is something that tucks into your chair, but kind of acts as a pocket of sorts. And I think my son in particular will love it. He always sits in the passenger seat. Anyway, I digress. That point of which how to purchase it, I was umming and ahhing. I was like, is this going to be some crap that arrives that ends up at landfill because it doesn't work properly in my car? And so that point of purchase, I'm on the actual product detail page, seeing the amount of photos from people who had got it and put it into their car and what could fit in those little pockets, that was what got me across the line. So your purchase marketing can be anything on your product detail page. It could be quotes, it could be awards, it could be anything else that at the point of which somebody is about to either contact you or buy from you, that you're giving them exactly the information that they need. The last stage, and one of the most important, they're all important, but this is crucial if you're trying to increase your sales, is post-purchase, which becomes advocacy if you do a good job. So post-purchase is really how do you stay front of mind for somebody? How do you stay relevant to people you've already worked with or people who've already bought from you? How do you get them to become loyal customers or clients that then either keep buying from you or if you're in an industry where maybe the frequency isn't that high, such as renovation or architecture, then they will become advocates for you and refer work to you. So those are the five key stages. You've got awareness, research, evaluation, purchase, and post-purchase, which becomes advocacy if done well. And today I wanted to go through some examples in each of those stages of brands that have done it really, really well. So what's an example of a brand that's done the research stage really well? What's an example of a brand that's done the purchase stage really well? What's an example of post-purchase, advocacy, you know, awareness, all of that. And I wanted to share these with you because quite often we can get stuck in a certain way of thinking or even in channel thinking only. So only thinking of Instagram or only thinking of TikTok or only thinking of email rather than thinking necessarily outside the box when it comes to how will I market and how will I guide people through those particular stages. So I will start with awareness because that's the first stage. So an example of a brand that has done awareness really, really well and I'm going to highlight one particular campaign that they did is Glossier. So Glossier is a kind of lifestyle beauty skincare brand out of the US. It was started by Emily Weiss, who was a beauty like writer for, you know, the big magazines. And then I think she started her own blog and from that started creating her own products, much like another skin hair care brand over here in Australia. And so she, she just has a really great knack. I mean, not just her, I'm imagining she has a huge team of content writers and marketers and everything now, but a really great knack of really good tone, clean, crisp graphics, and just the types of products that people want to buy, particularly sort of skewed to a feminine demographic with kind of the millennials and then maybe moving up to, I don't know, people maybe in their 40s, but I would say it's a little skewed a little bit younger to that. So one of the campaigns that Glossier did was a while ago now, I'm not sure, maybe like five years ago, maybe four years ago, I'm not sure exactly, I probably should have looked that up. But one of the campaigns they did was they were bringing out something and I can't remember if it was pink or I think it was a pink product that they were bringing out. So I don't know if it was like lipstick, perfume, whatever it is, but it was a pink product. And what they did is they actually sent promo models or maybe they were their staff. Again, really, I feel like, God, does she know what she's talking about? But stay with me. They had 
women dressed up with trench coats in really grimy underground stations in New York subway. And what they did was those women were handing out pink roses. So people were getting off the train and they were handing them these pink roses. And then if you imagine in rush hour, all these people coming out into the center of Manhattan from the subway, holding a pink rose and being like, oh my goodness, you know, other people walking past like, what is this? What's happening? Why have all these people got roses? Now, that in itself is a bit of a campaign, but they needed to lead people back to their brand. It's, you know, it's a nice thing to get a flower, but like, how does this actually come back to brand awareness? So what they did is they had a little sticker that was perfectly placed on the stem of the flower and it almost like a tag, like a label. So if you were going to take a photo of that flower, you would really not be able to take a photo of the flower without this label, this sticker in place. And the sticker had their Instagram handle, which is at Glossier. So that whenever anyone was going to share, oh my goodness, look what I got today, or this is lovely, lovely way to start my day with a beautiful pink rose given to me by a stranger, they would take a photo of that, share it, and basically be sharing the brand. Because then people might be like, well, what is this brand? Let me look them up. Let me follow them. Let me see what they're all about. So brand awareness in a really different way. I mean, sending people into, you know, dirty, grimy underground subway stations and getting them to give out these beautiful, fresh, just lovely pink roses first thing in the morning, and then have all of these people coming into a space, a busy city morning, full of pink roses. And each of those roses has the Glossier tag, which then allows people to go, what is that? And then get curious and go into you know the stage of research. So a really great example of an awareness campaign, and that was for Glossier. And of course, we'll link to an image of that in the show notes, which you'll be able to find over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 264. So the next stage in the buyer cycle is the research stage. And an example of a brand that does that really well is Warby Parker. Now, I often say to people, Warby Parker is a brand to look at if you are interested in anything to do with business and anything to do with, gosh, so many things, giving back, team culture, making money, I mean, all sorts of things. So if people don't know what Warby Parker is, it because we don't have it here in Australia, unfortunately. So Warby Parker is an eyewear company and it was started by four friends. They were in college together. One of them left his glasses plane or maybe it was like a backpacking trip. Anyway, he lost his glasses and he was like, why are glasses so expensive? And at the time, the glasses to replace them was like six or $700. And at that time, you could buy an iPhone for the same price. So he was like, I don't understand why glasses are so expensive. And it turned out, I think, that he couldn't afford to replace the glasses. So he ended up you know, being at college without being able to see properly, which obviously is not great. I wear glasses and I totally understand how frustrating that must have been. And then he talked to his friends and they were like, yeah, I don't understand this. So they looked into it and they realized that there is one company out there, a French company that basically has a monopoly on or had a monopoly on all eyewear or pretty much like 97% or something of the world's eyewear. So whether you are wearing Dior or Ray-Ban or Specsavers or whatever, I don't think Specsavers was in the market just then, but they sort of looked at this and were like, hey, we want to create an alternative. And so what they did was create cheaper, more affordable glasses. And my gosh, I mean, just the the brand story from there is incredible. Like what they were able to build. I think they were valued at like 1.2, 1.3 billion within seven years. And these are people in their like twenties. Now they're in their thirties, but 
they were able to build this massive community around their brand. Now, one of the things that they did, they were initially just selling these glasses from their apartment. And so people were coming to their office, but really they were just coming to their house to try things on. They had so many great ways of doing things cheaply because they had to at the start. I mean, that whole necessity is the mother of invention that really rings true to Warby Parker. And yeah, like I said, such a good brand. Go and research them after this podcast. So one of the things they did was they got to a point where they were going to open a retail premises because they had, you know, they had a community, they had an audience and they wanted to open. Now, retail in New York, which is where their headquarters are, is very expensive. So rather than open and then learn all the mistakes whilst also having to pay a huge lease, what they did was they actually kitted out an old school bus and they created the Warby Parker class trip. Now, that class trip looks like from the visuals, I don't know for sure, that it was sponsored by American Express because the American Express logo or tagline is on the bus. But what they did was they decided to travel around America in this kitted out old, you know, yellow American school bus. And they had kitted it out like a eyewear shop. And now Neil Blumenthal, who's one of the co-founders, he has gone onto numerous podcasts and talked about the amount of information that they were able to gather about their customers, about how they shop in an actual physical place rather than online, was just astronomical. What they did was they went to all different cities. They told people, hey, we're going to be here at this time. They used their social media presence to get people to come and live the brand, to come and talk to them, learn about them, research who are these people and why did they start and what kind of glasses do they have? And what's their ambition with this whole Bobby Parker brand and why should I buy from them and all the things. They were able to open the doors, literally, of a school bus and have people come in and experience the brand without having to pay anything to do so. It got a lot of media attention. It got a lot of people really realizing what the brand stood for. But the other thing that they got, and they've talked about this in any interviews and things that I've read about it, is that they were able to understand what their customer actually wanted. So they had thought that, you know, when you're putting eyeglasses on in a shop, you would really just need like a, you know, a small mirror to kind of see from your shoulders up. What they realized in the bus was that everyone wanted a full length mirror. They wanted to see their whole outfit with glasses. And so they were able to actually create then a store, a physical space, a retail shop that catered to all of these things that they had only learned by doing this bus trip. Now, in terms of the customer in that research stage, I mean, what an incredible opportunity if you're interested in a brand to go down, meet the founders, try on all the different types of glasses they have and ask a bunch of questions. That is fantastic for research. So such a great example of a campaign that actually helped both sides research. It helped the customers and the potential customers and current customers, as well as it helped the brand itself really research their own customer and what they needed to do to to talk to that customer in a physical shop. So that is the research stage and the campaign was by Warby Parker. And if you want to Google anything about it, it's just if you Google Warby Parker class trip or bus trip, you should be able to find more information about that. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So the next stage is the evaluation. And I talked at the start about how important the evaluation stage can be in marketing. Now, the first two that I mentioned, the awareness campaign with Glossier and the research campaign with Warby Parker were both campaigns. They were both kind of one-off things that they've done. In this next example, this evaluation marketing, this is something that this brand does consistently. It's part of their business as usual marketing or always on marketing. 
And so that brand is Everlane. Now, Everlane, you know, some people don't necessarily love the founder, but Everlane is a great brand that creates ethically created apparel and accessories out of the US. I've bought a number of their things and I have to say that, I mean, I'm not sponsored by Everlane. God, I wish I was, but you know, they're all pretty good quality. The shoes are good quality, but they're really small for the size that they say they are. But other than that, I found really, you know, their silk is amazing. Their cashmere is amazing. Their denim's really great. And I found it just a really good brand to get behind. So one of the things in the evaluation stage that someone may be doing if they're looking at, in this example, apparel is where is it made? How is it made? That sort of stuff. And one of the first brands to do really transparent pricing, I know other brands have now followed suit. There's one in Australia that's doing it a lot, kind of higher end fashion apparel range. So one of the first brands to do that was Everlane, to be very transparent about what does this product cost us to make, where is it made, and what is the markup that we take on top of, you know, all of the costs of goods. So in the product detail pages of Everlane, you can go into them and at the bottom underneath kind of the description and the add to cart and all of that sort of information and what it's made out of, they will have icons that show you every stage of the creation of that particular product. So I'm literally looking at one at the moment and it's this women's boxy Oxford shirt in apricot. So underneath all the information, all the images, all of that stuff, if you scroll right down, it'll say transparent pricing. It literally will tell you. So for this, let me see what the actual price of the garment is. The price is $96 Australian. Now that is on sale at the moment, but it's $96. And they have said the materials cost $14.14. The hardware, so buttons and finishings and trims, That costs $3.45. The labour costs $9.96. The duties cost $24.24 and transport $0.61. So you can add all of those things up and let's say like 24, that's 38, 41, 51. Let's say it's about $55. So their markup is currently, while it's on sale, $40 something. Now, what I think is really good about this is one, you can you can literally see what the company is making from this, but also every so often they will have a pay what you want sale. So they will have certain things, certain you know categories, certain product lines, and they will say, as long as you cover the cost that it cost us to make, you can then put in your price. And I mean, you just don't see that very often from big fashion brands. And so, you know, they're not a niche, tiny little boutique brand. They are a big company, you know, sending their stuff all over the world. And even in terms of, say, transport, it being here 61 cents, you think about, okay, how many they must have ordered for that transport price to be low. So that is a great example of evaluation marketing, because it's if you are somebody who really is looking at, you know, how to be more sustainable yourself and trying to make these you know, these calls on things that you spend your money on, you want to see, okay, how much did they pay for this? And how much did they pay for the labor? And all of those things are really transparent on Everlane. They also show you the actual factories that they get things made in. And you can see so much of the behind the scenes with that brand. The other thing that I have to say about Everlane is another part of evaluation marketing that I've seen them do is when they launched denim. So I was kind of buying their silk stuff previously, and then they decided to launch denim. Now, what they did is they were an online brand. They actually 
shut their whole site for a few days. And they just had a message from the founder up on the site saying, we don't want to overwhelm our staff and we want to do this right. So we can't run the online store and launch denim at the same time. There is so much work that needs to be done. So what we're doing is we're just going to put a pause on the online store until we get this denim launch right. Now, again, you do not see that. I've worked in many retail places with big online sites. And, you know, the second you shut that down, you are literally losing money every minute that goes past. So for them to shut that down for a few days, I think it was, to be able to launch the denim in the way that they wanted to launch it, again, whether it was an intentional campaign or whether it was like, oh my God, stuff is hitting the fan. Let's just put pause on the on the shop for a bit. It really showed like, okay, this is a brand that actually seems, at least seems to be looking after their team and looking after their priorities. So that is a great example of evaluation marketing, Everlane. Purchase. So what can you do at the point of purchase to make people, you know, to get through that process easier? Now, Purchase, one of the brands that I think does this well. Now, I don't shop that much from them anymore, but I used to, I have to say, when I was younger, when it first came out. And when I was in the UK, I worked for Amazon and Audible, but I also interviewed at Netta Porter and actually got all the way through to the finals for a managing editor role there. Now, when I was there, they actually said, I think you'd be much better off at this other brand that they have, which is called the Outnet. And so I went through a whole process of trialing that and all sorts of things. And so for that reason, I was looking at a lot of other fashion brands online and what they were doing and what they you know, have done since. And one of the brands that was one of the first to do the purchase stage really well is ASOS. Now I know fast fashion, I'm not advocating for that, but ASOS were one of the first to do videos on the point of sale so that you could see how the product actually moved on people. Now we take that for granted on so many fashion sites, but they were one of the very first. No one was doing it when they started. And the other thing that they have been one of the first to do is to do a kind of to use your data from things you have bought previously, things you've returned, why you've returned them, what the reasons are, to evaluate what size is going to be the right fit for you. Now, you can also put all your stuff in manually And they will then evaluate every single product. We'll use that data to say, based on this particular brand or this particular fit or this particular material, your size will be this. And, you know, that's really good in terms of the purchase because one of the biggest fears that people have around online shopping, even though, you know, we think it's so ubiquitous and that everyone does online shopping at the moment, but they still don't. A lot of people still research online and then go to shop in store because they're worried that the fit will not work, particularly with things like shoes, particularly with stuff that you can't necessarily return or it's not easy to return. So ASOS saying this is actually, you know, based on all the data we have around you or based on the data that you've manually put in about your height, your weight, what type of body shape you have, what other brands you have bought, and not even necessarily from ASOS. So if you're going to buy shoes on ASOS, you can actually go in and put in, I currently own Adidas Runners that are this size. And I own Converse in this size. And I own Doc Martens in this size, even if you've not bought any of them from ASOS. And once you put all that information in, then it will assess based on what you've told it, that this is the right shoe fit for you. And that alleviates that fear at the point of purchase to actually, you know, buy something online that you then worry that you're going to have to return. So ASOS, again, whether you love them or hate them, and I know they are, you know, massive fans of fast fashion and cheap stuff, 
but their use of data in that point of purchase is incredible in terms of the marketing that it does, the marketing that it is guiding people to go through that purchase stage to make it as easy and as fear-free as possible. So that is ASOS and the purchase stage. So just to recap, we've had awareness stage, the Glossier Pink Rose campaign, research, the Warby Parker class trip campaign on the bus, evaluation, Everlane with their transparent pricing, and purchase, ASOS with both the video content, but also use of data to understand sizing to alleviate people's fear at that purchase stage to buy. And the final one is the post-purchase stage. So this is where things come after you have bought from somebody. Now I have two in here. I have to say both of them are clients. So there is no bias. I just genuinely think they do a good job of this. So Radical Yes is the first one. And if you don't know Radical Yes, oh my goodness, what are you doing? You are missing out. Radical Yes make incredible bags, accessories, footwear, sunglasses, super cool t-shirts, like just the cool stuff that you would likely stop somebody in the street and be like, ooh, where did you get your bag? Could I just ask? Or, you know, where did you get your shoes? And they have this perfect fusion of functional and I don't want to say fashionable, but just like super cool. It's not, I don't want to say fashionable because I think fashionable can often mean trend driven and then it goes in and out. What they create is just these really considered pieces that are timeless, but also super cool. So radical, yes, do lots in in terms of the post-purchase stage. But one of the things that they do really well is that they send out a reminder about looking after your products in line with the full moon. So just a great way to remind you to you know, look after things in line with some of their values and their beliefs and the personality behind the brand. So I love that. I mean, they do a lot of great post-purchase stuff. They do a lot of great video content that is then repurposed in some of their emails. And just, yeah, in general, they really look after their customers and it doesn't matter whether you are buying from them all the time or whether you bought once, that you get this sense of you're part of the Radical Yes community and we are here for you and we're here to answer any questions, whether it's how to wear this style, how to clean it, how to keep it going, like all the things. And also I love that idea because, you know, so often you buy something and we don't necessarily look after our products in the way that we might have back in the day. I know when I was growing up, my dad had a box, I can still remember exactly where it was in our house, at the bottom of the pantry and it was full of shoe polish and all the different types of brushes. And we always had to polish our shoes. We had to clean our leather. And it's something that I have to say as an adult, I don't even know if I own any shoe polish or cloths or these brushes. My dad would always be brushing his shoes to, to keep them you know, in good nick. Whereas, you know, in our modern day, we're so used to things being throwaway that we don't necessarily look after our products. And I love that this post-purchase kind of content that's coming out from Radical Yes really also aligns with their belief of buying things that are well-made that are not going to just end up in landfill and looking after those things. So that's the first one in the post-purchase example, Radical Yes. The second one, again, like I said, it's a client is Law Perfumery. So Law Perfumery, if you don't know, they are based in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy in Melbourne, a beautiful perfumery shop run with just incredible staff and two of the people, uh, the founders, Jess and Jade. 
just are so passionate about what they do. Now, recently I've been working with them and they were talking about a campaign that they've run for a couple of years called 12 Days of Spritzmas, like spritzing perfume. And they have created these beautiful boxes and I got to see them on Zoom and I thought, this is so good. I'm going to support them. I'm going to go and buy one for myself. And what I didn't know is that they give you so much information. So perfume is such a you know, it's such a personal choice, which perfume you wear or which, you know, aftershave. Or, I mean, I'm not sure if they're both called perfume, doesn't matter what gender you are. And so this is a, it's an advent calendar that you open up and there's 12 days, 12 boxes. Each box has a sample of a particular perfume. And then it has a little card in it. That card has a QR code. And if you scan the QR code, you can learn more about it. You can also sign up to their email sequence. So I signed up to the email sequence and every day you open your box and you open your sample and some of them are just, I mean, they're all beautiful smells, but some obviously you navigate towards more than others. And when you open that email on the day, each day they send you an email of the 12 days of Spritzmas and within that email is a video all about that particular perfume. What are the origin stories? What are the notes of, you know, what are the scents that you're smelling? How did it come about? Why did they choose it for this? And it allows you to really get almost like that in-store experience, but through an email. And I think it's just, it's made me fall in love with quite a few of the perfumes and we haven't even gone through the 12 days yet. And it's made me go, oh, okay, maybe I'll get that one or maybe I'll get this one. And it's a really great way of nurturing that relationship. It's also showing your authority in a particular space and it's giving amazing customer service. And it's the type of things that you might then send on to a friend or send it on to, you know, maybe a partner if you're like, oh my goodness, this is exactly the perfume that I want for Christmas or any other kind of gifting that you have this time of year. So such a good example of the post-purchase stage by Law Perfumery. Now we'll link to Law Perfumery and to Radical Yes and to ASOS, Evelyn and Warby Parker and Glossier in the show notes. And like I said at the start, you can find those over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 264. So those are all great examples of marketing in different stages of the buyer cycle. So just again, in the awareness stage, it was Glossier with the pink flowers in the subway station in New York. In research stage, it is the Warby Parker class trip. In evaluation stage, it is Everlane with their very transparent product pricing on the product detail pages. In the purchase stage, it was ASOS with their video content, but also their data, you know, suggested sizing based on a huge amount of data that they have. And then in post-purchase advocacy, Radical Yes with their cleaning in the full moon and looking after your products and Law Perfumery with their 12 days of spritzmas. So, I hope that within that and listening to this, you have kind of opened your mind up to what's possible when it comes to the marketing for your small business in the different stages of the buyer cycle. So often, like I said at the start, we can just get caught in marketing the same way year in, year out. And I hope if you're listening to this in real time at the end of 2022, this gives you some you know, food for thought for 2023 and all you can accomplish through your marketing in that year and beyond. So that is it for today. As I said at the start, group coaching is now open for applications and you can find all the information and how to apply over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash group coaching. 
I have really enjoyed this episode. I loved just sort of thinking about, okay, which ones would I say really do a good job in all of those stages? I love the biocycle. I think it's a fantastic framework. And I really hope that outlining some of these examples today has helped you. So thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com. 